Thank you, Carly. Well, good morning, friends. I want to encourage you to take your copy of the Scriptures this morning and turn with me about the center of your Bible in Psalm chapter 34. Psalm 34. We worshipers out the door. Time to focus in, my friends. Time to focus in. Psalm chapter 34. Halloween is just around the corner. And you know, there's two approaches to Halloween, right? You got the, uh, the, the princess warrior something going on, or you got the scary ghoulish thing. You know, when I was a kid, I, I hated Halloween, uh, the, the people who used to make it ring the doorbell, they had a decorations and the light was on, and then they'd pull the door open and go, bah! Well, that wasn't a whole lot of fun to me, because nobody likes being afraid. Am I right? I know, some of you like to play with those scary movies, hey, that's, that's your thing, but nobody really likes being afraid. You know, and there's all kinds of things in this world to fear, right? Some of the top fears known to man, arachnophobia, right? How about that one, huh? Who likes spiders, you know? I know there's always somebody. Yeah. <laughs> I like their little soft, little eight-legged death <laughs> crawling all over. Um, how, about, uh, how about the fear of snakes? Anybody? Snakes? Mmm. Come on, raise your hand. You know it's you too. <laughs> and then there's the acrophobia, fear of heights. Anybody? You know, forget those tall buildings in Chicago. I'll walk the streets, huh? Yeah, come on. All right, lots of things. Some people are afraid of dogs. It's impossible for me to understand that. Unless, of course, when you were a child... You know, you went up to the dog wagging his tail with a big smile on his face. You know what I'm talking about, you know. And the dog came after you and maybe got a hold of you. I suppose if that was your experience, then that could be certainly a legitimate fear. I mean, some fears are legitimate, some are not. You know, uh, and perhaps maybe when you're a kid, I know why you might be, you know, perhaps you're going through high school and you're on a, one of those field trips, you got bit by a radioactive spider, now you're swinging around the buildings trying to protect the city from bad people, you know, flip, you know, come on. I mean, you know, th there could be very legitimate, maybe you read some really, really sad, horrible stories of people who got bit by some spider. Some are legitimate, but some of them don't happen unless you're like three continents away. But you're still afraid. Some are legitimate fears, some are not. The fact is, fears can be both healthy and unhealthy. There's no doubt about it. But at its core, fear itself is a defense mechanism. And it's a means of survival. I mean, there's this whole biological thing that takes place you know, to protect you from dangerous places. Fear itself creates hormones in the body like adrenaline, and it communicates a threat and a danger to the brain, and you've got to make a decision. Do I fight or do I take flight, you know? Fear can be a very healthy thing. It's a good idea to learn not to play in traffic, you know? That's just some fears are legitimate, you know, because people get hit by vehicles all the time. It is wise, my friends, to pay attention to the fears. So while we can see that uh, while nobody wants to be afraid, the fact is that fear can be one of the most important responses that you will ever have in your life. And this was certainly true 
for David of the Old Testament, that king of old, my friends. When he was being chased by King Saul, you may remember the accounts, God was working in David's life in incredible ways. Saul had this ship-sized jealousy that enraged him so much he wanted David dead. And while David was fleeing, certainly with Saul's armies in chase, a good reason to fear. Except David, while he may have feared men, you know what? He learned to fear God more. You know, we're going to look at this psalm, Psalm 34, that uh, as a result of David's experience running from Saul, David writes this psalm of instruction. And uh, this instruction gives us two critical imperatives about maneuvering the obstacles of life. I mean, how do you maneuver the difficult fears? How do you make it through when everything tells you no? I mean, Carla, terrified of public speaking, but she had something to say. How do you overcome these things? As a matter of fact, the number one fear is this. You know, you got spiders and snakes and gorillas getting loose at the zoo and all sorts of things. But the number one is standing in front of a lot of people and talking. You know, I used to have that fear. It's gone now. So you too can overcome it with a low, low payment of $4.95 over six months. <laughs> Just stand in front of people and talk and you realize ain't nothing to be afraid of, especially if you've got something to say. So notice here in Psalm 34, going to see two instructions, critical imperatives on maneuvering the obstacles of life. And the inscription here at the beginning of the psalm, as, as many of them do, tells us a little bit about this psalm as far as the context of what it, when it was written and by whom. And you'll notice it says a psalm of David. So we know exactly who wrote it and we know why he wrote it. When he changed his behavior before Abimelech. So that he drove him out and went away. Now that's a little obscure, you know, and the, the account is in 1 Samuel chapter 21. And you may recall that David in fleeing decided, I might be safer with the enemy of God's people, the Philistines, than with the king of Israel. So he went and hid among the Philistines. Now when the king found out, isn't this the David that slaughtered our armies? You know, isn't this the guy that beat the, the Goliath? You know, and, and, and David, having flowed into this, 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 this horribly dangerous situation, decides to come up with a plan. You remember this plan? He decides, I know, I'll act like I'm crazy. <laughs> and that's exactly what he did. And the Bible says, I mean, he let his drool run down his beard. And, and the king looked at him and said, this guy's crazy. And so David escaped, you know. It's, it's a thrilling account, my friends. It's far better than TV. Read your Bible, my friends. Well, this is the, the, the account, and what we have here is the psalm are some lessons that David learned and is instructing you and I as the followers of God, the children of God, believers in God, of how we too ought to live our lives. It is far better to learn the lessons of someone else's life than to have to go through them yourselves. So wisdom says, pay attention, my friends. Now, I want you to notice we have, again, two instructions Two instructions in this psalm, and the first is found in verses 1 to 10, and that instruction first and foremost is this, praise the Lord. Matthew Henry says, what a pity it is that this earth, which is so full of God's goodness, should be so empty 
of his praise. Think about that. The goodness of, I mean, did you notice it when you got out of the car? I mean, winter is just days ahead for us. And it's a beautiful morning. And I wonder if you walked in with your head full of grabbing the kids and where's the Bible and all of these things. Did you stop for a moment and say, this is the day the Lord has made. And maybe do a little rejoicing. And a little thanksgiving, my friends, because God is good. Now, I want you to notice I didn't say everything that comes into your life is not good. Some things are harsh and scary and ominous. There's no doubt about that. But my friend, in the midst of it all, God is good. It is wise to hold on to him. So notice what David says here. In his conversation here, his instruction about praise, he tells us first and foremost the manner of praise. I mean, when we're talking about God, this is the way we ought to praise him. And notice in verse 1, David says, I will bless the Lord at all times. And so apparently when we praise God like David, we will do it continually. We will open our eyes to see the goodness and greatness of God. How he maneuvers men and women and rearranges all the pieces on the board and we see it happen. And we stand back and we praise God. I will bless the Lord at all times and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. There's that word. If you're going to praise God like David, you're going to do it continually. But not just regularly, continually. You know, like in the inside, we're like, well, that's pretty good. Well, that's pretty nice. Oh, God is really good. David did it with his mouth wide open, my friends. Notice here in verse 2. My soul makes this boast in the Lord and let the humble hear and be glad. You see, part of the praise is a testimony of the goodness of God to others. And my friends, not everybody gets to see what God is doing in your life. And the the places he has put you and the places from which he will deliver you. Now, my friends, not everything ends well here, but it eventually ends well. And my friends, God will work in your life and through your life in every circumstance if you pay attention to him while you're there. If you watch and you wait and you work, and my friends, David made it known. The manner of his praise was continual and public and ultimately corporate, which is the whole goal of going public is people see it and they join you. It's when you you start singing that one song, you know, and it gets in your head and then it's in everybody's head. And while it may not be coming out of their mouth, everybody's doing... You know what I'm talking about, you know? Somebody just starts singing it. If you're happy and you know it. See, and now you're singing it in your head. That's the way it works. And eventually starts coming out their mouths, my friend. God is worthy of praise. There is something, and there is something big that every one of us, if we open our eyes, can think, wow. And we can praise God. The problem is that we are so internally focused and our attention is only on us that we miss it. And God, I would suggest that that we all should turn to God and say, God, help me in my selfishness to let go of this, that I might see your greatness and your goodness. Because David saw it and he couldn't help by praising God continually, publicly, and ultimately, let us exalt his name together corporately. 
Well, my friends, we not only see the manner of David's praise, we also see his motivation for praise. And here David lays it out. You want to know why I'm trusting, why I'm praising God here today? Take a look at the psalm, verse 4. And David notes that he saves those who trust him. David says, I sought Yahweh, and he answered me, and he delivered me from all my fears. The fact of the matter here in verse 5 is, those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man, says David, cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. My friends, he saves those who trust in him. Trust him today. What does it mean to sit back and say, God, you take care of it? No, it means living it out the way God would have you to do and the way that God would have you to do it and the time that God would have you to do it and to watch him work in the midst of it. Friends, that can be dirty work. I'm not saying that this is all angels and cheesecake here. I'm talking about this is labor, that this is life. We're not soft-selling anything here, friends. Oh, if you only pray, then everything will be happy, and all your bills will be paid, and you'll get a raise every year, and they'll throw a parade for you. Friends, you and I both know that isn't how this works. We trust God where we are. Where God has placed us to have the biggest impact, we are, we are like evangelistic uh, grenades, my friends. God places there that the message and the witness might be known to others. It is for his glory, ultimately, it is for our good. And sometimes we sit back and say, how can God be good with this? Well, friends, you just don't see it yet. You don't see it from the end. You don't see how it all plays out. But my friends, one day you will praise God for it, even if you don't praise him here. So my friends, he saves those who trust him. But I notice also, he keeps those who fear him. And then we're introduced to this word fear again. You knew we'd ultimately get there, right? whole illustration was about it. The angel of the Lord, I want you to notice, encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Now, we've, we've, we've seen that those who are looking to him, those who are trusting in him, those who, who know that whatever they face, they look to God for the answers, for the hope, the strength, the wisdom, whatever it takes. Those are the people that, that God steps in and, and helps. But I notice also, it is those who fear him. Now, the vine's a complete expository dictionary of Old and New Testament words. <laughs> <laughs> Not saying that one again, you can ask me later. Defines this word fear as a wholesome dread of displeasing God. Now, friends, perhaps uh, through your life, and I have heard this as well, is the fear of the Lord is just an awe and respect for Him. Friends, I guarantee you this it's a whole lot more than that. There are other words for awe and respect that God could have used, but he chose to use the word fear because fear causes change. It causes us to look at things differently. God is not your buddy. God is not your old pal. God is God. God is the one who spoke and brought it all into existence. And while he calls us to be his children... It is not to look at him as if he is nothing. 
Jesus himself said this, my friends. Do not fear man who can kill the body, but fear God who can destroy the soul in hell. Fear. See, fear makes you pay more attention, doesn't it? We are off too callous and, uh, and, and just loose and, and, and carefree when it comes to God. We need to pay attention, my friends. God is not this willy-wormy dude in heaven that just goes with the flow, my friends. He is the king of kings. He is the majesty of all majesty. Again, he spoke. He is making decisions based on how we live our lives, every one of us. And the impact is eternal. This is not a game, my friends. When we talk about God, David feared him. And he knew experientially that God delivered them. The fact is the fear of the Lord is a response of reverent humility towards God for his power and majesty tempered with awe and fear of the punishment of disobedience. God does not take sin lightly is the most giant understatement we could ever come up with. God created this place called hell for the devil and his angels. This is eternal torment. You may remember last week's sermon. There is no comfort in hell. There is no relief in hell. There is torment. It is the word where we get torture. It is inflicted intentionally. That is hell. And one day he will sit on his white throne and we have the imagery of the goats and the, the sheep and, and the goats off into hell and torment, but the sheep off into eternal life. We saw the picture in Luke 16 of Lazarus in Abraham's bosom. He was comforted there. But this rich man who feasted sumptuously and wore only the best clothes and walked around with his nose in the air if he was all that, my friends. And he suffered, and that suffering began the moment he left this world. And it never ends. That's how God feels about sin. Yeah, but we're believers, so everything's okay. One day you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It is a fearful thing, my friends, to stand before God with rebellion in your heart. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, my friends, Paul writing to uh, the church at Corinth. He's talking about how lax and careless they were around the Lord's table when they remembered the sacrifice of Christ, his death on their behalf because of their sin. I mean, he saved them from judgment, from, from the penalty of sin, rescued them from hell. And they were drunk and they could care less about no one around them. And Paul reminded them of this. It is for this reason. He's talking to believers here, my friends. It is for this reason that some of you are sick. And some of you are dead. Some of you have died because of this. God takes sin even especially among his children. 
extraordinarily seriously. And so when we talk about the fear of the Lord, let's just not talk about hugs and kisses in heaven. My friends, we're talking about God. And it is that kind of fear, the kind of fear that when you go through the zoo and you're looking at the bars and you see this lion with these enormous paws and you say, oh, what a cute little kitten who could tear your head off. My friends, let us not be careless when it comes to God. Let us not be careless. God loves us and his love, there is no doubt about it, but my friends, don't mess with God. Don't mess with God. When we talk about the fear of the Lord here, my friends, we're talking about the fear, the, the, the awe of his power and his majesty tempered with the awe and fear of his punishment for disobedience, his discipline among the children of God. I have seen within my own family an uncle in great health. He was a police officer. And so sadly, among so many officers, you know, they get away, they get connected with new people. And he left his wife and his children for some woman he had hardly known. And a guy in really excellent condition just had a heart attack and he dropped dead. You know, God cares about the impact we have in this world and among the people of God. And I believe it was discipline, my friend. Now, does that mean he ends up in hell? No. But one day he's going to stand before Jesus in response to his sacrifice, his goodness and kindness and love and say, what, what, what testimony of that did you leave me? Well, I simply responded based on my flesh and my desires and my appetite for more. And there are people in this room who perhaps just got hit between the eyes on that. You know, that person you keep looking at and thinking about, and, and they're so nice. I mean, I love my spouse, but, but they're so nice to be with. You be careful, my friends. God takes that sin seriously. This is not about hell, my friends. This is about how we honor God. God will spank his children, and when he does, they'll know it. Don't mess with God. This is not a game. This is not huggy pillow pats time, my friends. Those who fear God, who know who God is and are in awe of him and love him, experience his goodness and his grace, my friends. The fear of the Lord, that's what we're talking about. Again, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Even in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 30, for we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And it wasn't Rambo, my friends, it was God. And again, the Lord will judge his people. We're talking about judgment. We're talking about discipline. But it is a dangerous and fearful thing, verse 31, to fall into the hands of the living God. You don't want to be on his bad side. Christ died for you to be on his good side, to be drawn into love in this fellowship, in this glorious relationship. Why enter in and then turn your back, my friends? God takes sin seriously. So should you and I. Well, my friends, 
The motivation for David's praise was first and foremost, he saves those who trust him in verses 4 to 6. He keeps those who fear him, verse 7. And here in verses 8 to 10, he provides. He provides for those who seek him. Look at here. Oh, taste and see. We're talking about experience this, that the Lord is good and blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, there it is again. That word fear pops up over and over again. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Seek the Lord, look to him, trust him, honor him, and you will see good. Well, the first instruction we see here was to praise the Lord, and we have all sorts of reasons to do just that. The second instruction, if we haven't already been there, is this, that we ought to fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. Look at verse 11. Come, O children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What does it look like to live with the fear of the Lord? Verse 12 comes a question David asks, and I would ask it to you here today. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Well, if your answer is me, then take the following steps. Look at verse 13. David instructs us to subdue our sin nature. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. And turn away from evil. First thing we need to look at is a good, honest opinion of our thought life. Because that's where it all begins. Where our eyes go, there our heart goes. And the condition of our heart determines where we want our eyes, my friends. Take a look at the sin in your life. Be honest about it. Nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to admit it. But be honest about it, friends. What are you mumbling about God these days? You know, and you say, well, I don't mumble again. Yeah, but you look at things that God hasn't given you and you wonder why. As if God is not good to you. As if God is not kind. As if he does not love you. And you accuse God of evil by your very thoughts. Subdue your sin nature, my friends. You must fight against it. You must fight it. You must recognize it and put it down. And secondly here, notice that not only turn away from evil, the end of verse 14 gives us the opposite, and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. So we ought not only to subdue our sin nature, but pursue what is right and what is good. And maybe, friends, it's time to make a list of the things you ought to be doing in your life. It won't be difficult. You won't be sitting there with a lot of writing block. You already know what it is. Things that you ought to be doing in your life. These are the things that honor him. These are the things that are good for you. They bring not just spiritual health, but physical health to you. Do the things, pursue the things that are right. Do good, seek peace, and pursue it. And finally here, keep in view the discipline and judgment of God. 
Notice here, God cares for the righteous. David says in verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. And when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. And the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. The brokenhearted, we, we think, oh, they're sad. That's not what this is talking about, friends. The brokenhearted are those who are humble. David in Psalm 51 says the sacrifices are God, are not sheep or bulls. David could slaughter those. Psalm 51 is about David repenting, realizing the agony of sin following that event with Bathsheba. David says, mm, it's not about sacrifice and bull and sheep and goats. The sacrifices of God are a broken heart and a broken spirit. It is the humility that says, my sin is death to me, and I want no part of it. So the Lord is near to those who are brokenhearted and humble, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. You just talk about fighting against sin here, my friends, but those who have given up on it. My, verse 19, we notice that many are the afflictions of the righteous. Verse 19, but the Lord delivers him out of them all, and he keeps all his bones, and not one of them is broken, God caring for those who fear him. Notice in verse 16 that not only does God care for the righteous, God condemns those who do evil. Look at verse 16. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. God takes the sin very seriously, my friends. Look at verse 21. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. Verse 22. The Lord redeems the life of his servants, and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. My friends... God cares for, but God knows how to judge. It is, it, is, uh, it is the story of Noah all over again. God not only knows how to condemn the wicked, he also preserves the righteous, those who put their hope in him, those who fear him, those who are in awe of him and respond as they ought. Well, my friends, God not only cares for the righteous and condemns those who are evil, he disciplines his children. David knew that very well. We've already referenced it. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, David was in the bedroom as opposed to the battlefield. David let his eyes wander, fixed them on Bathsheba. And how did God respond? Did, did God throw David away? No, he did not. But did David just walk away? He knew the heartache of a lost child. He knew the heartache of the heavy hand of God. Until David repented, he would never be right. He talks about his bones grew weak. It's a beautiful description, and I recommend you take a look at Psalm 51. It is a psalm of repentance. What repentance really looks like and what the weight of unconfessed sin will do to you. So God condemns those who do evil. 
God condemns and God disciplines his children. David, his experience with Bathsheba, lost his child. And in 2 Samuel 24, as if David had not already learned, God had said, you will not number these people. You will not trust in the number of your troops. You will trust in me. But David said, let's count the armies. Now everybody around him, all his trusted, David, God, may, 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 David, may they, may they be a million, may they, may they be this numerous uh, army, but don't do this. Don't sin against God. But David did it anyway. And the prophet came to him right afterward and, and said, God has given you three choices. The hands of men, the hands of God, and I forget what the third was. And David said, I would, should rather be in, in the hands of God for he is merciful and man is not. And God caused this plague to break out. 70,000 people died. This number that David was so interested became 70,000 people until David sacrificed because of his sin and asked God's forgiveness. God will discipline his people. And again, we reference 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27 to 32. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. He's talking about the church. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Discipline of God takes the form that is most effective. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined. Why? So that we may not be condemned along with the world. God allows it so far and says, enough. And the discipline is perfect for the sin, my friends. So how do we wrap it up? Let me give you this statement here, my friends. When you fear God, you have nothing to fear. When you fear God, you have nothing to fear. David could stand against giants because he feared God. Only when he only feared men did David mess up his life. Only when he cared about himself. So my friends, let's look at some instruction here. When we do this, I hope you're taking notes, not just mental ones. Praise God when you see his goodness. This is how we practice a life that fears God. Praise God when you see his goodness. And don't just mumble it, my friends. Tell somebody about it. Going to use social media. That's a great place to do that. God is good. And I've seen his goodness in that today. Fill in the blank. And my friends, let's not gloss over this one. Pick up the struggle against sin. Stop acting like it doesn't matter. You know, when I go through a time of confession, when I think, what is going on in my life? What is hindering? Any, you just go through the body parts, my friends. You can start from your feet where you've been. And work your way up, my friends, all the way up into your mind. What are the thoughts that fill my head these days? What are the things that consume me? Because the brain is connected to the hands, my friend, and the feet. It will take us where we desire to go. 
Take a look, my friends. Where are you harboring sin in your life? Confess it to him, my friends, and be free. And finally, invest your life in what is good and what is right. What is right and what is good. You start living this life, that sin becomes even more highlighted because it stands in your way in accomplishing what it is that God has called you to do, and it is unacceptable. My friends, God is good. He is great. God is not a God to be trifled with. God is a God to be loved and served. We long to do this with no fear. In perfect love, there is no fear. You know what imperfect love is? When sin enters the game. Love him, trust him, but of all things, fear him.